It's a beautiful day to say what you need to say. It's a beautiful day to say what you need to say. Yeah. And I can lead the way. Welcome to Time Out with Ty, the less official podcast of Behind the Buck Pass. We're back this week for episode seven, which coincidentally is my favorite number. So I got my favorite guest on my favorite day, Adam McGee, and this will go up on Christmas Day. Adam McGee is a national NBA lead contributor. That's my title too at Hoops Habit, but I still don't know the order of the words. And also the editor-in-chief at BehindTheBookPass.com. How's it going, Adam? It's going good. I can confirm I'm not Santa Claus like the people were promised for Christmas Day. Damn it. Um, I, I know Jordan's disappointed. Um, but yeah, I'll do my best to bring some Christmas NBA spirit. That's all I can ask for. Um, you guys talked about this on Winning Six, and that aired Tuesday. We're recording this pretty early, by the way. It's 6 a.m. on Wednesday right now. Because for my Christmas present to Adam, I wanted him to record while it was still light out in Ireland, which is something that's never happened before. Not one time until now. So there's my Christmas present to you, Adam. Merry Christmas. It's it's a nice feeling. It's strange start to the podcast, all this nicety, you have to say. I have to come on time out with time more often. It's not normally not this nice on uh, winning six. But yeah, it's a strong intro for me. And then we're doing the podcast when it's bright out for me. So it's it's all good. I'm bringing my A game. I like to make people happy on Time Out with Ty. Winning six is just like Thunderdome. Like it's just a, a brawl to the death. But this is this is just a conversation, a free ranging yeah. conversation. You're a better host than you're a guest. I'll, I'll give you that much. A hundred percent true. Like I was saying, you guys talked about the the Jason Kidd situation. De- no, maybe not debacle. I don't think it's a debacle. But basically, the story is is that Kidd's gonna miss. At least the next four to six weeks, I think, was the the common estimate. But the better thing to say is indefinitely. He's out indefinitely following hip surgery. His hip was plaguing him since his days with the Mavericks, I want to say. He could barely sleep. He was uh, uh, just in pain pretty often, according to him. Now he's out. Joe Prunty's taken over as head coach. And things are pretty different now. What's your initial take? on what this means for the Bucks in the next six to eight weeks or however long Kid is out? Um, my initial take and what it means for the Bucks, I think, are the same thing, and that's it's just a lot of uncertainty. Um, it's hard to know exactly what we're going to see, if anything will be different, how the team will react to it. There's a bit of sort of the waiting game about it. it just That's what's most interesting about it, about the timing. Look, a lot of people have had question marks over a lot of what Kid has been doing, um, us included in that. It's going to be interesting just to see with a different voice, although it's someone they're familiar with, what sort of effect that could have on the books. They don't have any, the easiest of schedules coming up, but there are games where they could win, and particularly with them playing a little bit better of late. Um I don't know, it's going to be interesting just to see exactly how it plays out and it'll answer a lot of the questions we had about Kid in terms of what he was doing for the team, what he wasn't doing, because we'll get the chance to see them operate 
when he's not there. Uh, obviously, the other side of that that's important is he's having hip surgery. So even if it is four to six weeks before he's technically on, on the sideline again, it's not like he's not going to be able to use a phone. So yeah. within a within a week, within two weeks, he's going to be very, very involved in decisions. And that's just sort of, that's the most interesting part is just to see, well, how much will Joe Prunty take on himself? As in, if if it's Giannis who's having a terrible game, if it's Michael Carter-Williams, do they get benched in that game? Will he send them back to the bench for the following game? Or are we now in sort of a holding pattern where it's, the group that kid has left as the starters are likely to be the starters barring injuries all the way through until when he comes back. Yeah, it's there's a lot of a lot of things that are gonna be insightful. Tonight it'll be two nights ago in this podcast airs, but tonight the Bucks take on the seventy sixers and that game might have a few answers for us. It's it's not good to read too much from one game, but considering they don't play again until what, Saturday? After this game, yeah, the Raptors on Saturday. The Raptors on Saturday, so we're kind of kind of have to sit on whatever happens Wednesday night um, for a little while, at least over the Christmas holiday. Hopefully, we're not all chewing on our chomping on our gums on Christmas, worried about what we saw on Wednesday. If the one in twenty eight seventy sixers get a win, that's really bad. But uh, I have two takes on this kid thing. The first one you already know about, and that's I feel like we. I feel like I've been a little too harsh on him now with this news out. I know that a lot of people feel differently, but uh, I think he could be a better coach when he comes back. I mean, if he can't really sleep at night, if he's got this nagging pain all the time, you know, I don't think I could coach an NBA team if I couldn't sleep at all at night either. I definitely could if I was sleeping, though, just so everyone knows. Put that on my resume. But if I really, if I couldn't sleep, I mean, that'd be impossible. I mean, NBA coaches have really tough jobs, especially when they take on front office responsibilities as well. Here's the second part of my thing with this, which I have not aired anywhere before because I just thought of it. He said he's going to come back to the office in two weeks, right? Yeah. Here's my worry. What if he's not really coaching as much just besides just input? But what if he plays, what if he puts his full-time GM hat on? in between the time he comes back to the office and the time he comes back to the sideline. Is that not terrifying? No, because I don't think they're going to make any major moves. Like Jordan made this point and I thought it was one that was particularly valid and interest that I hadn't thought of. With this news coming out, all of a sudden meeting with booze or rumors of trading for book or make more sense because obviously for all of us, it was news, but for kid, the owners and, let's say John Hammond, this was not news. I'm sure they were prepared for it. They were waiting for it to happen. So it's no coincidence that they were looking at guys like that with a view for there being a month, possibly if it went sort of on the long end, that's going maybe two months without the head coach. Um, I don't, I don't see a whole lot likely to happen aside from that. Like I don't, I don't feel like it's, the time to do anything in terms of trades they're better to sit there and just wait and see what happens play out the season as it is like in many ways this is it's the perfect inbuilt excuse for the books because if the season continues as it was and they sort of look into a top lottery pick there's no well we were terrible this year you can point to oh well look we new players come in and then we had those two months where we didn't have our head coach 
it just there's excuses there to make it a little bit more palatable and where most people will see through that there's a very significant portion of the fan base that won't and they'll be able to take that and say look kid wasn't there for two months how could the team function without the head coach um on the other side of it like i don't i don't think you can excuse anything that's happened based on kid being in a lot of pain not sleeping things like that if it was at a point where it was that bad where he wasn't sleeping and that's one thing, but if he felt that that was affecting his duties, both as coach or in any sort of front office capacity, well, then he should have had the surgery earlier. That's when he needs to take it upon himself. If he felt like he couldn't do his job properly, it needed to happen there and then. Now, I'm I'm assuming, and I'm giving him the benefit that that's only happened now. I've seen a lot of debate on Twitter over the last few days, and we talked about this a little bit on the Winning Six podcast, about the timing of it. The reality is there's no no such thing as good timing. This is probably the best possible timing because where most fans will think the summer is the time to do it, where it's like off-season for, for fans because there's no basketball to watch, that's literally the worst possible time for your head coach to go missing for two months. Particularly when they're involved in front office sort of duties as well because, what, do you not want a kid there to oversee any of the draft prospects to give his thoughts? What about free agency? And then coming out on the other side of that, obviously, you head into training camp, which are two, three of the most important weeks of the year to, to bet in the new guys, make sure all the guys who are returning are on the same page as well. So I don't know. I, I don't find an issue with the timing, and that's out of everyone's control. You can't blame Kid for it being mid-season. He's got to do what he has to do to get himself healthy. Um, I just can't. I don't see any sort of circumstances where I can excuse anything that's happened with the team because of the condition he's been in or because of a lack of sleep because let's be honest if he felt it was affecting him he needed to act sooner he needed to step away yeah i mean i definitely see where you're coming from i don't know if i would say i excuse some of the stuff he's done it's more like it, it paints it in a more sympathetic light i guess would be a better way to put it but for the he should have um like removed himself earlier thing I definitely see where you're coming from there, and you're you're 100% right. Uh, if I had to guess, it'd be, you know, he's a former player. He's probably played through injuries before, maybe this very same injury. And he's probably just got this mindset, like, look, even, you know, 70% me is still better than 100% whoever steps in. I mean, that's not him knocking on his own coaching staff, of course. But, I mean, that's just the mindset a lot of players have, except for – I don't know, I guess, like Kobe would say, soft ones. But there are some players who don't think that way. D-Rose yeah, doesn't think that way. But That's that's really dumb. And he was a player, but he's not a player anymore. And if he's still thinking like that, he needs to get over it. Because that's, as a coach, exactly the way you don't want your players to be. Yeah. Like, you don't want your, your players going out when they're at, say, 70% and playing in a lot of pain, not going to be anywhere near their best. They're going to bring the team down with them and then further down the line there could be a bigger problem with them that's not what the coach wants so if he's still thinking like that that's just dumb he needs to get out of the mindset of being a player i'm not saying that that's not a possibility because he is a player he's or he was a player he's not too far detached from it um but his job has changed and his mindset needs to really change with that i don't know you could be right on that you could be right that that is how he thinks but that would be another example of something then that he needs to address and he needs to get his mindset to a place where he is now an NBA coach rather than a player. A coach doesn't have to 
toughed her way through injuries. Yeah, I mean, I, I just I feel like it's. I mean, he did record a steal this year. He's still <laughs> playing some games, so. And it was more of a fell than a steal, but we'll be generous. I, I think. I think to me, it was more of a reach in fell, but if you want to call it a steal. We can start the Jason Kidd points to steals ratio, and it'll be pretty consistent. I'm hoping, unless he checks in once he gets healthy. What are the chances we see Jorge Gutierrez and/or Kenyon Martin during this time where he's in the office but not on the sideline? A hundred percent, two hundred percent. Um, definitely not Kenyon Martin. Don't rule I, it out. I don't know. He has a he has a sort of rolling rotation of faces that. He likes to bring in, like, there was so much other stuff to unpack with it. And with all the other rumors, Karan Butler is basically the, he's a former teammate of kids in Dallas. So Tony Boozer is the only player that they've been linked with who doesn't have a kid connection still. So if not Gutierrez, if not Kenyon Martin, I'm sure he'll find some faces that he's played or coached before to come in. I've got an analogy for you I think you'll enjoy. So Jason Kidd always brings his friends around to his job, right? I think he's the Bill Simmons of NBA coaches. Oh, no. The Bucks are the, the Bill Simmons report. It's just Joe House and uh, uh, who's the other one? There's more. Jacko, all those guys. That's Kenyon Martin, Jorge Gutierrez. I mean, it works. He, he Particularly, I mean, they're the Bill Simmons. I guess what we would call the independent Bill Simmons of today because yeah. he, he used to be in Brooklyn where he had KG and Paul Pierce and all his all his real high-profile friends around. And now it's sort of this sad thing where he's off and everybody's still watching, everybody's still listening, but it's just him and his friends. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's just him and his group of friends. Does that make, what, like Zach Lowe, KG? That's a fun comparison. Um, I don't know, maybe he's, I don't want to have to call Zach Lowe Joe Johnson, but maybe he's Joe Johnson <laughs> because he's he's still there. Uh, yeah, that's hold, true. Holding it down over there in Brooklyn. Maybe Brooke Lopez, uh, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I don't know, less of kids' friends, unless he also brings some of his good friends around. I mean, like Dirk is too busy to come in. They're actually good. He doesn't want to leave now. Yeah, that's true. I want to talk one more Bucks thing specifically before we just get into the whatever maelstrom that this podcast usually ends up as. How depressed are you by the Giannis news that he missed a game with uh, knee tendonitis? Not at all. Talk me down. I'm worried. It sounds no, like a thing that I'd, comes up a lot. I'd be more worried if he was playing with it. <laughs> like, that would be the JK answer. Yeah, I mean, there's some pretty... I there's some pretty basic stuff to this in terms of mechanics that never gets talked about with Giannis. And that's because, thankfully, in touch wood, the Bucks and Giannis have been very, very fortunate with injuries to date. There is something, though, about a guy who is so long and was growing so fast at a young age that instantly spells out injury problems. And that's a cross-sport thing. Everybody loved Giannis growth, and they put it down as this this sort of phenomenon uh, where Giannis was getting two inches bigger sort of with every passing month in his rookie season sort of thing. That is not particularly good in the in the present for injury. So I feel Giannis has been quite lucky with that. It wouldn't be unnatural for her to be 
injuries to come out of that, which are pretty much growing pains. Um, so anything like knee tendonitis wouldn't wouldn't worry me. It would worry me more if Giannis had a history of knee injuries, where it's sort of the tendonitis was betting into. Um, but to me, honestly, like, and that's it's the way people would think about anything else. I know, particularly with probably soccer being my original background in sports guys who come in, they play really young and they grow very quickly. They end up with sort of long standing niggling injuries because it's a lot of physical toll and exertion to put your body through when it's still growing. So I don't know. I think something like this sort of injury, that could be a part of a free anus. And it's, it's no big deal. I'd expect them to be back, back for the, the Philadelphia game tonight as we record, or if not, I mean, why would you bring him back for the Philadelphia game? You just beat the Suns without him. Let him have the Sixers game off, enjoy his Christmas, and come back to play Toronto. Yeah, I mean, I suppose now that you, you say it, when you look at it that way, it's kind of remarkable Giannis has been so healthy besides this through his first three seasons. I mean, guys who are 6'10 and above, usually they just end up getting hurt, especially the, the slimmer ones. I mean, you look at Kevin Durant, he struggles to get through a season healthy. I mean, people hate the Kevin Durant. People with logic, I should say, hate the Kevin Durant-Giannis comparison. But as far as body types, I don't think there's a better sort of comp for Giannis just on physicals alone than Kevin Durant. And he, I mean, we're, I guess we're really lucky in Giannis's too that he doesn't have any sort of foot problems because those, those are always the worst for big guys. Foot problems can derail anyone's career. Look at Joel Embiid right now. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's not so bad. I mean, knee tendonitis. I mean, if he misses a game here and there, I mean, who doesn't, right? I think. I mean, that's sort of. By the time most NBA players finish their career, I'd be very surprised they don't have knee tendonitis. Yeah. So, like, every now and then, yeah, it's going to be natural. I mean, it's an 82 game season, it's about as intense as it gets in sports. So. Running up and down hardwood floors every night is not exactly sort of gentle on knees and ankles and basically all your all your joints in the lower body. So, I mean, it's no big deal. Timing is pretty good. I mean, they got through that game against the Suns. Suns were terrible. And they were coming off the back of the Warriors game. You wouldn't have wanted them to miss any of those games. And then into a 76ers game and a little bit more rest because of Christmas. So, I mean... I think it works out pretty well, even if it was to be a little bit longer than that. I mean, the Raptors are missing a few players through injury themselves. Damari Carroll, Jonas Valanciunas are both sort of recovering from injuries and still doubtful. So I don't know. It wouldn't necessarily be the end of the world. It's no big deal. Uh, like the, the injury, the injury that is more interesting for me heading into the Philadelphia 76ers game is Jared Bayless. Because this has become the exact same sort of feeling of a situation we had with Vasquez, where it's like all gone quiet on Bayless. And that didn't turn out so well. Now, if you remember, Bayless' injury looked really bad at the time. It was a really nasty roll of the ankle. Uh, to me, it didn't feel like it would just be a sprain. Um, so, of course, with the, with the road trip, he hasn't been with the team. And that's reason enough for it to be quiet about him. But if he's not playing or there's no talk of him being close to playing again starting from the 76ers game I might be a little bit more 
want to say concerned, but I'll be curious and anxious to see what's happening there because that's a bit of a pattern with the books. When things go quiet, it's not normally a good sign. They like to talk, and when players just stop getting mentioned, you normally get a good idea of what's happening. Yeah, it's you almost forget Jared Bayless is even on this team, which is crazy after that hot start he had because, I mean, like you said, I mean, it's you've heard nothing about Jared Bayless over the last – what, like two weeks? Two weeks, what? yeah. Which which they said it was, like, initially they said it was, oh, it's a pretty mild ankle sprain, he'd be okay. Um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, there was even, maybe it was a mistake on the broadcast, but I, I think during the game when he went out, there was, like, he may come back in the second half sort of thing. He was, like, questionable to return, and they were saying there's a chance he'd come back, which it just didn't look like that at all. Um uh, he stepped on somebody's foot and rolled his ankle, right? Um, you can sort of roll your ankle where it's just your, your foot isn't quite sort of firmly planted, and then there's like rolling completely over on it, which can do a whole lot of other damage. But that will be interesting to see because, I mean, if it is just a sprained ankle, it should be very close to coming back. I mean, we'll see, I'm sure, later today as we record. I'm sure Joe Prunty will... We'll give updates and shoot around and that sort of thing, and we'll, we'll see exactly where he's at or how close he is to getting back to practice if he's not healthy and ready to go. Um, so uh, that's just something I'd be watching out for because it's, as I said, the Vasquez injury and how that was dealt with, how it went so quiet, it was just a minor thing, and then it wasn't. It's just maybe maybe pay a little bit closer attention to some of those injuries. Yeah, it definitely seems like it would be the right thing to do to maybe let people know a little bit before you just, you know, I mean, like maybe hint at something like, oh, Jared Bayless, you know, we're, we're looking into things. There might be complications, but nope, it's just just all silent until you find out either he's back that night or he's out for another month. I suppose at the same time, it's nobody's business. Like, they're not really obliged to let the fans know. I mean, their priority is getting the player healthy. Yeah. Um, this is much like some of the other things we talked about. The most important thing, though, is that the communication is there for the players. Like, well, like I would have hoped that Grievous Vasquez knew his injury was pretty serious and was working towards a point where he was going to have to recover all along. But then again, if that was the case, why did it take like three, three and a half weeks to the point where he had a surgery? That that was basically an extra month. Like that's the difference. If they got that assessed straight away in a way where they found that out, that's the difference between coming back, say, late March to coming back in late February, and all of a sudden you do get a bit of time out of them. Um, so that's that's the, the the sort of interesting or the important part is just where they're at with the players. But look, it sounds crazy to say it's not a science because technically it is, but these things can happen. Injuries aren't always clear cut, so it can take a bit of time sometimes. Yeah, I suppose it sounded like Vasquez played through it from the the report, or what, I don't know if it was the injury report or just the first story about it. I can't remember. I don't really have anything to base it off, but the impression I'm getting is that he played through it, as in he may have had it coming from Toronto. Yeah, I mean, if, he didn't really play that many NBA games, and he did start off really, really badly. Those things could certainly be related. The interesting part of that as well is Terrence Ross had the same injury for the Raptors last year, and he did play through it. 
like yeah. he had he had off season surgery and there's a lot of talk people talking about well why has Terence Ross regressed? He was a player who was sort of grabbing everybody's attention with the dunk contest and I don't know, he was expected to do a lot and obviously it's not easy when you've got the Marta Rosen there and now they've got the Mari Carroll. But it's like why has he regressed? Well, that was an injury he played under for quite a while. That wasn't that he'd regressed, it was that he was playing hurt. Let's play uh NBA rapid fire questions real quick. Are you down for this? Let's do it. Right before we get there, I forgot. I wanted to bring up one more thing. I guess this is sort of a question. Boogie, last night, so Tuesday night, 100% reaffirmed his desire to stay in Sacramento. Does Cousins remain on the Kings for a more than another year? I mean, he's not going to come out and say, I want to leave. I mean, I mean very few players who do that. Boogie uh, would seem like one of the guys who would say that if he did, though. To be fair, he's one of the more vocal people around. He's not vocal in the media. No, it's not this impression because he's vocal in the court. He's vocal behind the scenes, and like everything in the NBA, that leaks to the media. Yeah, Boogie is not vocal in the media. So any reports that we'll ever hear of Boogie wanting to leave will come from insider information rather than from Demarcus Cousins' own mouth. I, I don't think he'll be there. And part of that is because I just don't... The Kings are not aren't good enough. The Kings don't have any pieces, really. Like, you can call Rondo what you want. You can call Rudy Gay. Rudy Gay, Rondo, and Demarcus Cousins isn't enough when you've got nothing else around it. You don't have any... Right, there, there's some good young guys there, but they don't have enough. They're nowhere near close enough. And... It's getting to a point where Boogie wants to take that next stage in his career. So I don't think it benefits either side for him to be there. If the, if the Kings could get a good haul of picks, like the Celtics could give them, like they could potentially get a say a top three pick this year, being the next pick from the Celtics. Yeah. That with a lot of the other assets that Boston has, I don't know why they wouldn't do it. I mean, the other one that's started to come up in terms of Talk of centers recently. The Bulls. The Bulls have assets. The Bulls have plenty of big men that they could give the Kings serviceable big men, good players to plug straight in. Like they're going to have to make a change, and you could actually get a pretty good lopsided deal because it might be in the Bulls' interest right now just to to get another big star rather than to hold a lot of their sort of quality pieces together because two young stars like Butler and Cousins together, that's the beginning of something really special as opposed to maybe what they have now. If I'm the Kings and uh, the Bulls call me about Boogie, I don't think I even pick up. I don't think they can give me a deal that I like. I don't I don't want a Bulls draft pick, that's for sure. I mean, they've lots of good young players. I mean, they do, but I mean, what? They, they'll give you Bobby, a center that they can plug in now. Bobby Portis and... Meritage. Miritich. Oh, Miritich has been terrible this season, though. I don't think that's a reflection of Miritich as a player, though, as much as the way the Bulls are trying to play and a lot of what's going on there. I think they started him at small forward for his last game, and that's the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. They did start him at small forward, but that's... They're at the point... And I, I sort of expected this coming into the season. I've said it quite a lot. I wrote about it only two or three weeks ago when the Bulls were going well, and I, I still didn't believe them. Like the getting rid of Tibbs never made sense for me. No. Changing their identity didn't make sense. And the fact is, their changing identity has actually backfired 
as in early in the season anyway, they were a better defensive team than last year. And their offense was actually worse. And that was what Hoiberg was brought in for. And the Miritich move at small forward, to me, it's the same as what I described kid benching Yanis as, which was just, it's got to a point where it's like, well, let's keep changing things until something sticks. There's like a desperation to it. Um, so that's what that felt like for me. It backfired for Chicago. So I don't know if we'll ever see that again. Not hard to imagine that playing a guy who's definitely closer to being a stretch five than a, a, a small forward didn't work out for them. I, like, I mean, like the, the, the Bulls remind me of the Bucks, where it's like this is a team that has needed a trade for like two years. They have like three guards on their entire roster and like 19 power forwards. Like what are they thinking with that? And they they had the trade chips. Like it's funny, a, a trade that has come up like for a long time now, and I'd see it a lot obviously being a Hawks fan, is there's always been suggestions that the Bulls liked Al Horford, which isn't surprising because I'm sure probably all other 29 NBA teams like Al Horford. Yeah, everyone likes Al. But there's always been talk of, oh, uh, Noah and we'll say some other piece for Horford. And there was probably a time where that was a good deal when Noah was playing an MVP caliber season or even the year afterwards and he was struggling a little bit, but people were thinking of him as that player. There was a time where that sort of deal could have happened if they, if they maybe pushed or if they put the right piece with it. I still see that deal talked about amongst fans at times. I'm like, why Why are we talking here? Because Noah isn't worth that anymore. That's the same. That goes for, for Boogie. I mean, if this was a year ago, maybe 18 months ago, being able to trade Noah would have been a real sort of, I mean, that's as close as the Kings would have got to getting a top-class center to plug in where people just don't really think of him like that anymore. And that was... Maybe that was the problem. Pau Gasol has been great since the Bulls signed him, but he's also sort of completely made Joachim Noah's role redundant. Pau played like 55, 55 minutes in their quadruple overtime game. What was Hoiberg think? Like, why would you ever play Pau Gasol that many minutes? He looked dead. Were there three coaching changes this offseason? Was it New Orleans, Oklahoma City, and... Uh... And Chicago, is there another one I can't think of right now? Orlando. Oh, yeah, Orlando brought in Skiles. Um, and then I guess you could count uh, Mikhail getting fired, too. I think I, only, I I like two of those moves, and that's it, out of those five. I think three teams messed up. At the moment, there's only one that I'd say I like with conviction. That's that's Orlando, and I didn't like it at the time, but it's working quite well after them. Well, I mean, the thing about that is, I mean, what who that? What was Jacques Vaughn? That was their coach last. I mean, he was terrible. They had. Um, That's like the Timberwolves. I mean, when the Timberwolves get someone to replace Sam Mitchell, they could bring in like literally any real coach. They could bring in Scott Brooks, and he'd look like Phil Jackson compared to Sam Mitchell right now. They had James Borrego for quite a while as well. He acted as interim oh, yeah, coach, yeah. and. He didn't. He was quite heavy taught him. I didn't necessarily think he was all that bad. Um, I don't know. Yeah, they, they have needed a coach like since since Stanley like Gundy left, uh, yeah. basically in Orlando. But yeah, I don't know. That that one's definitely working. Like I'm not. I, maybe I haven't watched quite enough Thunder just yet, but I'm not sold on Billy Donovan. I don't know what he does 
I don't know what any coach does with that team to win more than just send Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant out well, there. I don't see how much else of what they do is completely relevant or that those guys even would take on board because if if they didn't like what a coach was saying or the sort of sets he was running or what way he was looking to play, well, those two guys are going to win that battle and it's going to go whatever way they wanted to eventually. The one thing I will give Billy Donovan credit for, and I count his hiring as a win, I guess, because it hasn't seemed to backfire yet openly. I think in New Orleans and in Chicago, that's that they, those moves do look terrible right now. Uh, even with Kevin Durant missing, I don't know, like around 10 games, maybe I think just under 10 games, he has not started Ennis Cantor one time yet, and he's not played Ennis Cantor that many minutes per game. And I think that's, I mean, Cantor started every game, I want to say, when he came over in the trade last season. Donovan hasn't started him yet, probably because of his abysmal defense. I think that's that's a good move. I mean, from a, a rookie head coach to not start someone making max money, he's probably the third highest paid player on the team right now. I'll give him credit for that. And they've still been good. But like you said, I mean, Scott Brooks made this team a, a finals team, so... Yeah, I mean, the other thing with Billy Donovan, Billy Donovan's a good coach. Like, I mean, that that's the difference between him and Hoiberg. Hoiberg is probably it's too soon. Like, that was just, if he wasn't associated with the Bulls, he was like a hot coach name in college. But I don't know if any other team was going to give him quite that good a look. Whereas in Billy Donovan's two-time national champion with the Gators, he's, I think he was four Final Fours. So... I mean, that's a real pedigree when it comes to college basketball. So seeing him make the step up to the NBA isn't as much of a surprise, and it sort of feels like he was more ready, where Hoiberg was much like can happen with assistant coaches, and it can go one one way or the other. He was just sort of like the hot coaching name, and the Bulls decided to take the risk with Should the New Orleans Pelicans have brought in Alvin Gentry to replace uh, Monty Williams? Um, I mean, Monty Williams got them to the eight seed when they probably didn't deserve to be there. And I thought was... I thought that was the stupidest firing I've seen. In a, I mean, maybe aside from Tibbs, I, it didn't make any sense to me at all. It's one of those things where it happens. It's like sometimes an ownership or front office can see a coach bring it, bring the team to a point where it's like general perception doesn't think they should be able to get to. But then they sort of start to second guess it and go, maybe the reason why the team wasn't at this point is because the coach was bad in the first place. And if we can get this far, we can get further. And it's sort of a strange downward spiral from there. It was a bit of jumping the gun for me. Like I, I understand why they decided that Gentry was a good guy. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the same thing happened to some other team with some other Golden State staff member like if someone decides to sell themselves on Luke Walton who doesn't have anywhere near the pedigree or wasn't isn't thought of in anywhere near the same way as Alvin Gendry was I get why that happened but it's just sometimes that can be forcing things too much and the other thing with the Pelicans and it's it, I don't know I guess it's always got to factor into how you view their decision making and it makes a lot of their decisions look terrible but I'm not sure if it's if it's as harsh on this one as a lot of sort of general logic would, would make you view it as. And that's 
more than any other team in the NBA, they are on a super strict timeline. Yeah. They've, they have got to, like the eight seed is great for them, but they need to be much better team than that because they have a franchise changing piece, a generational piece. And as things stand, they're, they're going to lose them. Like eventually they're going to lose them. There's no chance of them keeping them as they are. So I think it's, it's sort of, it's hard to be critical of the ownership because if they felt bigger picture, they might say, okay, Monty Williams is a good coach. Is he a coach who we feel could ever get us home court advantage in the Western conference? Let's forget about the players we have now, but if we, if we improve our roster, we tool it up over the next couple of years, is he going to get us home court? Is he going to make us an actual contender or someone to fear? If they decided no on that, I don't know if you could be critical of that. He's a good coach, but I mean, we don't have evidence to suggest that that's the sort of coach he is. So Gentry's a real pedigree guy. He did very well with the Suns. It sort of dropped off the end. I guess one of the big things now is people with hindsight, it's really easy to second guess out Gentry and say, well, he was always going to be a terrible coaching her. And I've seen a lot of that from a lot of people to be much smarter than me when it comes to the NBA. The question marks though are there. I mean, you could say, okay, even what he did with the Suns and when the Suns were quite good and he had a good coaching them, was that really just Mike D'Antoni's sort of team still? Like, I mean, how much work did he have to do on that? And then even in in Golden State, like he was given so much credit for that. And then you look at the team this year, and that's without him and without Kid, they're still able to do that. So that gets to a point where you're like, wow, this is really such a special group of players that how much of that other stuff matters? I mean, those things aren't necessarily great for Alvin Gentry. Yeah. The fact that all those other franchises either survived or didn't survive when he left or didn't really develop with him there. They just sort of ticked along as they were before. So that's definitely a tough one. I don't know. I understand why that move was made. I understand it. But I mean, I, from day one, though, I hated it. I mean, I think Monty Williams was the best coach for Anthony Davis. Because, I mean, I mean, Anthony Davis had all those career years under Monty Williams. He's not been bad this season, but I don't think he's been as good as he was last year. I think the the coaching move of this offseason, for me, the best one, was the Thunder. And it wasn't bringing in Billy Donovan for Scott Brooks. They got Monty Williams on their bench as an assistant coach. That's a fantastic assistant coach to have, especially for working with guys like Westbrook and Durant. I thought that was great. Um, yeah, I mean, that's it's, it's a name guy. It's a guy with... A lot of experience as the books are seeing right now like there's never any harm in that <laughs> i mean things happen and to have a guy like that to turn to is not a bad thing so yeah it's definitely when you can get guys like that it's always a good idea to go and get them add them to the stuff who's your i don't know if you've ever thought about this i do maybe just because i'm weird who's your ideal add them to the coaching staff right now guy who's unemployed at the moment like if you could put them on the Bucks staff anyone regardless of how much they'd get paid or anything like that i have an answer if you want me to go first while you think about it you go first i want kevin McHale on this team so badly i want Giannis and jabari and 
not really Greg Monroe, but John Henson to learn some post moves. And I can't think of a better person than Mikhail for that. I mean, I mean the guy knows how to how to operate down low. That's an understatement. I'd love to see him come on this staff and just just teach teach Jabari how to use his body. Because right now it seems like, especially on defense, he just does not know. Yeah, I don't think there's many guys who could mentor the players or sort of hone the skills of some of the most important pieces better than Kevin McHale could. Uh, I think that's definitely a good one. I know the only other way you go with it is then looking to get a guy involved who, rather than teaching the players, is going to teach the coaching staff nearly. And I don't, like... To be honest, much like Mike D'Antoni going into Philadelphia, and Brett Brown isn't a coach that needs to be coached as such. Um, he worked under Popovich for a long time, but I don't dislike that move, and I don't know why more teams, particularly when they bring in the likes of Kidd, who's just finished as a player, Derek Fisher, you know, take guys like Hoiberg who are just stepping up, why they don't create a bit more of a sort of coaching team? And in that sense, like... I don't know, someone like Jeff Van Gundy would be fun. Yeah. Um, but I think to focus in on getting the best out of players, yeah, I don't think there's many guys who'd be better than Kevin McHale. That's why I really like the Monty Williams move so much because it felt like they were the Thunder were making it clear that they were serious about uh, Billy Donovan and really trying to put him in a position to succeed. I mean, clearly, like you said, he's got the college pedigree, but Monty Williams is a very experienced NBA coach who's going to Yeah, he knows the ins and outs. Like, he knows how to manage the schedule. He knows how to manage NBA rotations. Well, like, one he's thing, there straight away to help Billy Donovan. But. The biggest thing is he knows how to manage superstars in the NBA. That's the hardest part, I feel like, for a lot of coaches. Because in college, you're, you're sort of like the grand dictator of the team. Everything's up to you. In the NBA, it's not like that. And, I mean, that's we've seen guys struggle like that at managing, I mean, George Carl is a great example. As of right now, this hasn't happened in Sacramento, but he's got a kind of troubled history with great players at times too. You look at Monty Williams, I mean, Anthony Davis loved Monty Williams. That's I wouldn't be surprised to see Scott Brooks end up somewhere with young young super. I don't think I think he's still unemployed right now, isn't he? I, I want to say. I think so. Like I mean, that's that's an interesting point, particularly in terms of Hoiberg, if, if we go back to that, because here's Hoiberg getting called out by Jimmy Butler for not oh, coaching yeah. the team hard enough. And he, like, here's a guy who's used to teaching kids who aren't making any money, and all of a sudden he's got a guy who's making $18 million a year and really wants to win, and he's calling him out. And that's that's a different environment. That's a different pressure. I mean, sure, there's kids in college who might go nearly the same way because they're thinking of their, their future career. But let's say 80 to 90%, even on top programs, the rosters aren't going to make it quite that far. So it's not the same atmosphere. It's not the same demands. It's not the same environment. And that's the sort of thing. You're never going to have a guy who makes $90 million over the next five years call you out for not coaching hard enough for you in college. So that's the sort of thing that's definitely a wake-up call for Hoiberg. Well, yeah, and the other thing is the NCAA is still so draconian in that it's it's harder to get out of a college team. Transferring is harder. You can lose eligibility time for that. You can get your draft stock hit. In the NBA, it's as simple as saying, I need to trade. Like, I can't do this. And and if especially if you're a star player, you have leverage. I mean, guys can get out of a place they don't want to be in pretty quick. So that's the one other thing. I think if Scott Brooks is on that, 
that Thunder or that Thunder, that Bulls bench that they have a better season. Kevin Durant wasn't, you know, in tears publicly when he got fired. But I mean, Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, there was never really a huge, like, really, neither of them ever wanted to get out of OKC while now either or while Brooks was there. And there really wasn't controversy with them as far, I mean, unless I'm forgetting something. I mean, he kept that locker room fairly under wraps. I think that's just timing, though. I mean, it would be no different if Scott Brooks was still the coach with Kevin Durant's contract expiring. Oh, yeah. I'm not but, saying he would have necessarily kept him there. No, but I mean, that's the reason why you hear of that now. I don't feel... I don't think Brooks was as bad as many people thought. Yeah, the guys liked him, but I I don't think that was necessarily even a big strength of his. I just don't think there was need for it to happen for either guy. It's like the next few years when contracts come up, you'll have Durant first and then you'll have Westbrook where that's when that becomes an issue because most guys will generally stay true. Like superstar guys will stay true their first two contracts with the team that drafts them because it's in their interest and the team that drafts them aren't too keen to give it away. This is the point that traditionally stars move away. Um, so that is, that's definitely the challenge. Just thinking of one other person who I wouldn't mind having on the bench, but then he wouldn't fit in definitely with the books and their current construction. But Tom Thibodeau, as an assistant coach. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be nice. Remarkable. There's rumors that he has some sort of a, like a Bill Simmons clause where he can't coach anywhere with his thing with the Bulls. I think that's, I don't think that's true at all. I don't think that's legal. If there was a front office that tried to do it, it'd be Chicago's. I, I think Tibbs would have gone and contested that unless the payoff was good enough to let him just sit that one out. I don't think that's a bad thing for him. I also, I don't think it's a, necessarily a coincidence that uh, Byron Scott is still the Lakers coach because there's been talk that they like the idea of having Thibodeau as their next coach. And if that was the case, well, it's not a surprise that they're happy to keep Byron Scott there till the end of the season to get them another really good pick for Tibbs to come in and then take over as coach. Plus, they know if Tibbs is coach on a Kobe team that Kobe will die on the court. So there's that too. But yeah, the the whole thing of Kobe just having this sort of nice farewell tour where he takes as it's many gross. shots as he likes. It's, it's gross. It's super gross. It's boring to me. He's actually playing better recently, which is nice. I mean, if he can play pretty well to finish up the season. Not I'm not a Kobe fan, him. but I like that. But no, but the I know the idea behind it, but that's... You know, some guys get farewell tours. Kobe Bryant's been the villain his whole career. And now every team acts like he's their best friend, like, 29 fan bases, for the most part, despise Kobe Bryant, except now. I, I don't know if that's true, Ty. Sun, yeah, Kings that's... fans hate Kobe. Suns fans hate Kobe. Spurs fans hate Kobe. But that's when you come to hardcore fans, and you've got to remember there's, I'm going to say, there's probably, you could be outnumbered two to one and really casual basketball fans to hardcore NBA fans. Oh, it's probably more than that. It's probably outnumbered more than that, honestly. Like, that's why no matter what city he goes to at any stage in his career, Kobe jerseys, Lakers jerseys will flood in, and particularly that franchise because they have the history. Then him as a player, that's a knock-on effect of that. And I mean, I don't know. I I know because I obviously live on the other side of the world and I see that side of it. He's one of very few players who would be very well known. He just seems to have a mass appeal. And for me, as 
as somebody obviously who pays as close attention to the league as I do, I don't understand that. But that's definitely an impact of it. Like I, I wrote about Kevin Garnett yesterday and Kevin Garnett finishing up as a player. And I think there's a different sort of like, I think just KG isn't the star in the same way. He's not like the big global star. So when fan bases hate KG because of the way KG goes on when you're playing against them, that matters more. That makes a much higher percentage of people dislike him because he's not on the radar of the more casual fans in the same way that Kobe is. Like So I, I think Kobe is... It's amazing because even anyone who's sort of active on NBA Twitter, they'll see all these debates and arguments over Kobe and lots of people dislike him. Kobe probably overall in the scheme of things is easily, easily sort of still top three, top five most popular players in the league. Yeah. Him, Curry, and LeBron. LeBron's farewell tour is going to be something because you know LeBron's the kind of guy to absolutely play that up. And LeBron, I, I don't think anyone could play it up more than than Kobe. Who was it? Was it was it Alex Rodriguez who did this a couple of years ago? And baseball, um, I, I no Jeter. You're thinking of Jeter? I am thinking of Jeter. He had, he had the big one. Where, but he basically he did exactly as Kobe did, as in he retired or he announced it early in the season. I think and before, went, even. he went on a tour where basically. He was getting presentations at every stadium. We go the to Bucks. Like, I was the Bu- I wasn't there, but the Bucks. Oh no, I think the Bucks gave him a, a rocking chair made out of baseball bats. The Brewers, you mean? The Brewers, yeah. Sorry, but I, I was at. I don't know if you know who Chipper Jones is. Of course, I don't. He was a a famous Atlanta Brave. I think he was a third baseman. Maybe a first, whatever. It doesn't matter. I was at his last game in Milwaukee, and he did the same thing. And they gave him like a grill and a bunch of brats. And I was like, what? This wow, is a weird. I, I don't know if that's weirder than a rocking chair made out of baseball bats. They're both weird, but I think the a farewell tour in general is weird. Like, I'm so glad Tim Duncan's just going to quietly retire after this season. Like, it's it's horrible. It's it, The thought of Tim Duncan just just being gone like that is horrible. And Garnett it's, will do the same. Paul Pierce will do the same. But it's better than a farewell it's, tour. It's much more fitting to their legacies. And that's, that's who those guys are and staying true to themselves. Like we wouldn't expect Duncan to do it in any other way. No. But it's because of that that Duncan's the sort of guy where you'd like to have time to say, Well, this is the last time we'll see Tim Duncan do this or play here or do that. Um, but it's that's just how it works. Tim Duncan probably won't even announce his retirement. He just won't be there next he's year. Just, yeah, he just won't come back for but like training camp. There'll be a, a six there'll be a sixteen spot on the on the roster and, and every night it'll just be like DNP Retired, super old. <laughs> Just one last thing to touch on quickly. There's seven free agents I've marked as um, the the best seven: Demar Derozan, Mike Conley, Al Horford, Kevin Durant, Hassan Whiteside, Bradley Beal, and Andre Drummond. I just don't count LeBron at this point. I think those seven, well, Beal and Drummond are restricted, so they'll, they'll stay. So I guess you could say those five: Whiteside, Durant, Horford, Conley, Derozan. Do the Bucks run at any of those five guys? No. Not even Conley? No, don't think so. Conley's going to be available to somebody. Yeah, I don't expect the Bucks to have a busy summer in terms of free agency. 
I, I think that they still they have their core pieces in place, but they want. And I mean, if Michael Carter Williams somehow keeps up the play he has at the moment, I don't think there'd be reason for them to to want Mike Conley. Obviously, Mike Conley would still be a better player, but I just I don't know if they need that. Um, on the other side of it, then again, even if it was to go really badly for them, I think there's a probably a better chance to go after a point guard in the drafts. I know there's a lot of talk about Jamal Murray. Yeah. Um, it just depends how bad the books are, whether they're able to get him. No, I don't. I don't see. I, I don't. I don't even like a whole lot of them to make a run at. Like I wouldn't be paying. I wouldn't want to be the team paying Hassan Whiteside max money. You think he's going to get max? Yeah. Five years, one hundred and forty-six million. Oh, would man. would not be surprised. Someone will do it. Um, I mean, I guess DeAndre Jordan got maxed by two teams with a second thought this offseason. He has no offensive skills apart from being six ten. And that's what Whiteside is. <laughs> I mean, I think that's that's a good comparison because he's just as terrible in every way. Like, I mean, the things that that Whiteside isn't good at, he's terrible at. Like, well, I, I think I'd rather Max Jordan because he's super reliable. I don't know if he's missed a game in like three or four years. I think he just missed his first one. He plays almost every night. He's not. He's maybe a little bit of a head case. He's a little bit of a, a drama a drama guy. We saw it this summer, obviously. But I don't think he's uh he doesn't miss games and he he's pretty consistent with his ten points, like eight rebounds, two blocks pretty much every night. Whiteside, and there's so many question marks. I mean, there's a reason that like three or four NBA teams punted on him before he found his way to Miami. I'm I'm worried about whatever team gives him thirty million dollars a year. Go through that list again. So you've got Mike Conley, Horford, Whiteside. DeRozan and Durant. I think only Durant my opinion would be only Durant won't re-sign with their current with his current team. I think DeRozan's gonna at least tour. Uh, he's he seems like a prime Laker candidate when Kobe's gonna be gone. Um, I, I don't, could, him... could be wrong, but I have a feeling he's from LA as well. Yeah, he is. Um, yeah, he plays in the Drew League all the time. So I mean, maybe that's something that's possible. I don't know. I was, I was actually, I don't know why this came to, but I, for some reason, I really like the idea of DeMar DeRozan as a clipper. Um, just there's no way they could make that work with. No, they're, they're taxed. Yeah, Andre. Um, but well, they got to pay Blake soon, too, don't they? Was that next year? Um, or the year after? I think it's next year. They got to start. That's their number one priority this summer is to make sure they have Blake room. Um, I well, they have, they have Blake room. It's because Blake room is just that comes first and everything else will come later. So that's yeah. not to worry for I can see DeMar going to another uh, California team that we already talked about a little bit. I like, I like DeMar and the Kings. I, I don't think I don't I think, think, I think DeMar likes that too much. So. Yeah, I don't think he goes there. But, I mean, if they made a real strong push and really they'd have to win him over like the Bucks did with Monroe. But, I mean, you bring Boogie – you get Rondo resigned quick, and you bring Rondo and Boogie, and you could say I, I don't, I just don't to, they can win over guys in that same way because like, I don't know if they can either. I, I don't. I'm not saying I, don't, I think he goes there. I'm saying I think that'd work well for them because they need that like second wing star. They need to get rid of Rudy Gay because he's an auxiliary piece. Demar Derozan is basically like better Rudy Gay, who can't shoot as well, but he's better at everything else. Yeah, I don't. I don't think the Kings can win anyone over in free agency. 
I don't, I don't think they can get any of these guys. Bring into a pitch if they if they did sign Rondo and then whatever they're going to pay Rondo if they did, then you're going. Imagine going for a meeting with Rondo, Boogie, Vladdy Divac, and Vivek. And George Carl, probably. That's, that's like the craziest room anyone can ever walk into. I, I don't think yeah. anybody walks into that room and goes, yeah, this is what I want for my next five years. Rondo. Yeah. But that was one year. He, he may not even want it for his next five years. Yeah. We'll see. I, I don't see a lot of those players moving. I don't I don't think though the Heat can keep Whiteside. Well, they can probably find a way. I I think the Heat would be was, better not keeping Whiteside. I honestly I was, think they can find better better options. Like he, he was great. He's great now when he's that cheap to tie him with that team, but longer term I'm not so sure. I was reading somewhere and it seemed dubious and I haven't done the full research. But I don't I don't know if they can give him I think this is wrong. I don't remember where I read it. But it was like they can't actually offer him a huge deal because of the way the CBA is. Like his max is I don't know. Well, I, I, I don't think that's you'd have true. a much you'd have a lower max, he would, because of experience. No, but I mean uh the this thing was like because of his contract so cheap and weird rules with he's been there for not long enough so they can't give him bird rights and he could actually make more money on a contract somewhere else uh, that sounds unusual but that would be even if yeah, it's not true i don't know if they can keep him i mean they're paying Bosch a lot they're paying Dragic a whole lot for he's not been worth that contract this year if wade sticks around again they're gonna have to pay him a whole lot it sounds like to me that they're gonna take a run at some guys too so they're gonna want some salary room for that I just wouldn't want to be the team who decides to pay Hassan Whiteside. It's fine saying, oh, even this year, he's he's put two consistent seasons together. His attitude's been fine. Yeah, because he had to do that to get his big contract. So it it can become very different when he actually has his contract. So I just wouldn't want to be that team. Yeah, his max is uh, $95 over four years. Whiteside. Does Beal get that deal from the Wizards, or does he go somewhere else? No, I don't know if I, I don't know if Beal. I don't know if they pay Beal that. Yeah, the, the Wizards will pay Beal. I mean, would, the, would you they, pay Beal a hundred million dollars over four years? I'd pay Beal whatever it took to keep him with Wall. I think Beal will continue to develop. I don't think he's anywhere near a C in it. So yeah, I, I think I would. I mean, the number's stupid, but that's just the way the cap is going. So they've no choice. They've no say in that. If the Wizards don't, someone else will. So they might have to have a, a bit of a conversation when someone puts an offer sheet in if they don't move straight away. But yeah, I'd say he gets it in the end. Uh, his injury problems worry me. I don't know if I could pay him that much money. But that's why I'm not a GM. Maybe the last rapid fire question, unless I think of another one. Where's Kevin Durant going this year, this offseason, this summer, I should say? Washington. You still see Washington? Yeah, still think he'd be a wizard. You know what? How do you, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Ben Merrick, the the editor over at uh, Wiz of Oz. Uh, ben Mahick, is it? Or Ben? I, I don't know. I don't know the pronunciation either, but I know who you're talking about. Ben uh, M. Ben. Ben, ben. editor of Wiz of Oz, yeah. Shout out Ben. He, he suggested something I really liked. Uh, I think last week it was. Boogie to D.C. instead of Durant to D.C. He likes Boogie to D.C. better. I think I agree with him. No, I'd still like Durant better. I mean, I think I mean Durant's the better player. 
I mean, Wall, Wall, Beal, Otto Porter, Durant, and then get a get a Zaza Pachulia style big to plug in at the five, and that's that's a real contender. That's a, a real real contender. I don't know if you want to start Durant at, at power forward every night. You can you can start him at the three and play Otto Porter at the four. I don't know. That's that's really small to start. I mean, I suppose if you're good, they you're did good, it you get away. last season, and that's what worked from the playoffs. Now, small ball and pushing pace hasn't worked quite as well for them this year, but that did work for them in the playoffs and towards the latter in the last season. I mean, that's the thing with that. Otto Porter and Durant could be interchangeable pretty much. But yeah, I still like him to go to Washington, and I, I like what their team would become with him. I don't think I have a KD conspiracy theory yet. Like, I have my, my fun mellow trade. Um, Why did I have mellow? Now I can't remember. Yeah, Mello, oh, Dallas. Yeah, Dallas. Yeah. I don't think I have a, a fun KD conspiracy yet. I'm going to have to come up with one. Like, just under the rate. I, I think Zach Lowe always says Miami. I don't, I don't see that at all. Yeah. The Mavs, the Mavs are interesting because the Mavs could well still make a trade now because they are good enough that they're going to be close. So it, I wouldn't be surprised for Cuban to say, well, let's press and let's make a run again. They um, would have been, they would have been smart would, to go one or two ways. Yeah. They would have been smart to trade their first round pick this year before people realized they were good. Like if I'm a GM me like the way I thought I thought they'd be a lottery team I would have given them way too much for that first round pick that's looking like it's going to be a top 10 pick or at least top like 12 or 13 yeah maybe I don't like, know if, if I'm Cuban and I really want to make a run and I, was, I see like behind the scenes that this team looks good flip your pick in Chandler Parsons and go get yourself a better win player go get yourself Carmelo you think Carmelo stays in the Knicks I don't know why teams would want them. <laughs> like, I don't... At the moment, I don't see why the Mavs would basically mortgage everything to get Carmelo Anthony. I, I don't... I, I understand what it sounds like and his sort of... his appeal as a draw, but I don't know in a basketball sense how much better that makes a team right now. I mean, I think if the Mavs offered... Uh, if they offered... New York, Chandler Parsons a first and maybe like a second, they might take that. But I, I don't think, I think Carmelo is actually happy in his like elder statesman role with Porzingis. This is a thing that we all thought was going to explode. They get along. Carmelo likes Porzingis. I don't, I don't think I thought it would explode at any point. But I mean, we thought we thought pretty much everyone thought Carmelo would want out. And the team would be extra bad. I want. Yeah, I think that's the. Prevailing. I don't think that. I still don't. There's a reason. He I don't has, think it now. There's a reason he has a no trade clause in his contract, and he made it very clear. Like if he wanted to go places to win, he could have gone to Dallas. He could have gone to Houston, to Chicago. Chicago. Last yeah. time he was the agent, but he decided he wanted to stay in New York, and that was really the most important thing for him. He said for business reasons is to be in New York. So I, I honestly don't know if that will change. I think that's a bigger problem for the Knicks. Is if if I was the Knicks and I got offered Chandler Parsons at first, I might even need a second. I'd say, okay, that frees up salary space. We get a, a really sort of really good young player. And a first round pick, let's do it. That guarantees your pick's not going to be good, though. The Mavs with, with Melo are probably... I, I don't know. Mm, I don't know about that. 
You think they get worse? They couldn't implode on Lelo. They do have a bad. They have a bad history of bringing guys in, like last year with Rondo. I don't know why they did that trade. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, but they did that because Cuban is just like yeah, that's he wants to win more than anybody in the NBA. So if there's a chance where he feels there is a move that could help him to win, he'll make it. Yeah. You gotta. That's as a Mavs fan, I guess maybe that's not the most fun, and that means they're not the team that you see with like draft picks coming up. He, he famously doesn't really value draft picks, but you can't fault him for that. That's a great thing to have in your own, or that he will keep taking those risks to try and make the team a winning team. And to Cuban's credit, the Mavs never get that bad out of it. No. I mean, really, it's not the worst idea to not value draft picks. If you're, if you already have some good players and veterans and that can and that locker room, like obviously all of this will change for Dallas once Dirk is gone. Yeah. But while they have him like this last run, I, I think, they're better not valuing draft picks and just trying to get established players. I think that worked well for them. I think Miami's kind of the same thing. And they're exactly the same because once once D Wade's gone and you don't have just that sort of one piece to be able to stand on no matter what, yeah, then you have to then you have to really value your picks more because you need to find that guy that you can do that again with. Yeah. Uh, but when you have players like that, yeah, it gives you a little bit more freedom. I just thought of my last question before we go, and this will be fun. Who's the best team in the East? Who's the best three teams in the East, like, ranked? Are the Cavs still number one? Um, Yeah, I think so. I know it will Kyrie back. I don't think they've played to anywhere near that level yet, but I'd put Cleveland at one. Yeah, I think I would too. Um, I have the Hawks at two. I figured... Uh, haven't wavered at all on that. Everyone else is panicked and freaked out. And the Hawks are the third seed at the moment. Um, so for all everybody's panic, 18 and 12 is not too bad. And there's something different about them this year. When I watch that team, it feels different. Although they were rolling off wins last year, I just feel like they have a greater focus this year. And they, they look more like they know what they're doing. I don't, just don't feel like they have... Even when they lose, there's like bad performances from individuals, but it's not necessarily off nights in the same way. I've I've a lot of faith in the Hawks this year, and I think as the season goes on, they could become pretty scary for a lot of teams. The third team in that mix is tricky. Pacers, Raptors. I I don't know if I can trust the Raptors still. I don't know if I can trust any of them. I mean, it's between Pacers, Raptors, and Heat. This this just smacks of last year's Raptors. I mean, they started off so hot, and uh, DeRozan and uh, Lowry looked amazing, and then they just fell apart. I don't know if I can trust the Raptors until they win a playoff series. I was I was talking to um, Brian Boak, the editor over at Raptors Rapture, a couple of weeks ago, saying uh, about this, and I was like, how. How do you guys feel that the team isn't doing exactly what it did last year? How do you feel that what's happening now is going to be sustainable and you're not going to have this massive drop-off? And he was pretty adamant that Casey is managing minutes for Lowry and DeRozan much better this year. And once that continues, they don't feel like they'll burn out in the same way. And then obviously Lowry's conditioning is visibly better to everyone so yeah maybe it is easier to trust the raptors this time out i probably i probably would right now go with the raptors just slightly as my third favorite over the pacers yeah i mean the Cavs, raptors hawks are a good bet because they're 
in order, Cavs, Raptors, Hawks are one, two, three. The Raptors just edging out the Hawks because they have one more conference loss. Plus, they, did the Raptors finish last season as the third seed? They did, didn't they? Uh, yeah, I think so. So that's last season's top three. So it's yeah. three teams we know can go the 82-game pace. Whether they can go further than that is a different question. But they can go the 82-game pace. Um, they're the teams who technically before the season were probably best best positioned, at least mentally, to go and do that. So I can't believe the Pistons are 17-12 and 12 with that bench. Wow. I honestly, I'm just checking the standings right now. The Hornets finally cooled off. They were the second seed for about two days. Now they're 15 and 12. I mean, they're they're one and a half games out of being the second seed. So, yeah. <laughs> like it's it's not even cooling off. It's just so wide open that you can happen. Hawks were out of the playoffs last week, and they're now tied for the second seed. So, anything can happen. My sneaky maybe might be a top five East team is the Celtics. They've been really if they make a trade and get real talent. They'll probably be a top three team. I don't think they'll get a seed. But, I mean, just with Stevens running the show, they're, they're always going to be dangerous from here on out. I mean, there's too many teams. <laughs> like Chicago have to get it together quick because they can miss the playoffs in a hurry. There's just too many teams. Like, it's nearly, in a way, it's nearly a relief that the books are out of it a little bit. Yeah. Because I don't know if this is the year to be mediocre. Um, it's if you're a really good team, it's a great year because you'll still be probably well ahead of the pack. And if you're a bad team, you know what? You'll have more distance from them and you'll get a better draft pick out of it. So I know this isn't the year that I'd want to be a 500 team because 500 would have you like 11th in the East when it all shakes out. Um, so yeah, no, I, it's, it's definitely interesting. The, the thing that I'll, I'll just finish up on is it amazes me that people are so surprised by the East being better than it was and this sort of shift in balance because that's the whole idea of the system. That's why there's a draft system in place is that if one conference is really bad for a long period of time, they get the better draft picks and eventually it corrects itself. That's exactly what's happened. Like It's amazing when people go, oh, it's such a surprise that disparity is gone. It's like, no, it's not. That's what the system is in place for. That's the whole idea is that whatever the worst teams in the league are, eventually they get better. And that's that's what's happened because the worst teams are in the East. So um, I always find that one interesting. But yeah, East definitely going to be fun to watch over the next few months. Yeah, this this playoff picture is going to be fascinating. Bucks probably not in it at 11 and 18. They, they're probably out already no matter what happens because they'd have to jump one, two, three, four... Five. They'd have to be. They'd have to jump over five teams right now, and maybe they could jump two, like Knicks, Wizards, if they struggle, Bulls if they really fall off, maybe another team with an injury or something. They, I don't, they they're not going to jump five teams to make the eight. No, I, I don't. I honestly don't see it happening. Like I mean, to have to win seven straight to get back to five hundred right now, when five hundred and above is a log jam in the conference. Yeah. Um. People can say it's early all they want, but the books have left themselves too much to do when the conference is better unless we see it revert back to how the East was last year and a lot of these teams start losing games like there's no tomorrow. I don't see that happening, so I do. I think they're too far back. It shouldn't be about winning anymore. It should be just about figuring things out and getting the best out of the players. If a lot of wins come from that and they do end up close to the playoffs, I'm okay with that. I don't necessarily want them to tank. Um, 
but if they're bad by means of trying to improve, I'm okay with that. If they're mediocre by means of trying to improve, that's fine too. The most important thing is a lot of the main pieces are there. They just need to get better. Yeah. Hope. Hopeful podcast for once. Last week wasn't as hopeful. I'd like to thank Joey Burbs for providing the intro and outro music to this podcast. As always, thanks, Joey. Thanks for listening. Check out all of our podcasts at Behind the Buck Pass. Adam, thanks for coming on. Thanks for much, son. Of course.